0: Welcome to episode 10 of At Work, the podcast that is all about tackling inequality, injustice and oppression in the workplace. And I can hear a little bell in the background. I hope it is not too distracting. I wanted to alert you to my new kitten, Jessie, who has been a little bit of a demanding child. And so I can't get her away from the office Right now, so accept my apologies if you hear a little bell in the background. I'm not sure whether there might be some symbolism that I am not connecting with at the moment, but I wanted to also take this opportunity to introduce her to the world. Let's go back to At Work. Episode 10 it is. Remember, At Work is all about tackling inequality, injustice and oppression. Some of the challenges related to the same, some of the dilemmas, some of the queries that you might have. But for us to do that, you need to, of course, put... to us so please get in touch tell us about your dilemmas tell us about the challenge that you are experiencing tell us about the area that might tickle your fancy and that you would like us to dedicate some thinking space to as part of this podcast and we would be more than happy to oblige So it is episode 10. As I said, it feels a little bit celebratory. It's been quite a journey of growth, of learning, a learning curve. Some people might even say getting at work ready on a fortnightly basis of sufficient quality, sound wise content-wise. Of course, I couldn't do it without Dave, a sound engineer slash magician slash podcaster who makes At Work happen, and also all the team at Rest Reflections for their ongoing support. But I also want to say thank you to you, the listeners who have been paying attention to some of the recommendations, some of the message that we have been sharing on the podcast. At Work is going to transform, and we are looking forward to to include more voices, different voices to mine alone, but more in the next month or so. So episode 10, what are we going to think about, reflect on, connect with this month? Well, it would be really difficult to have missed the event of the month or so, the Euro Football Cup, and of course, the famous infamous final, which pit Italy against England, and the penalty shootout which resulted in England being defeated by Italy. So of course, I suspect all of us, all of us would have been paying attention, at least I hope, to the controversy that has arise since the penalty shootout, where Saka, Rashford and Sancho essentially missed and have been blamed for England not making it and for England, therefore, losing out to Italy. And so I want us to think a little bit about that. There's been a lot of thinking, a lot of article have been written some good quality articles. I have also written a thread on Twitter on the event and the phenomenon. And so I'm going to inspire myself from some of the thoughts, some of the reflection that I have already shared publicly. So what can the outcome of the finale, what can we learn from this treatment of those three young black Footballers. Specifically, I'm talking about Saka, I'm talking about Rashford, I am talking about Sancho, who it appears have been held to account for the defeat of the England team. think a little bit about how we got there. It seems to me that watching the finale myself, England's performance, particularly in the second half, was really questionable. Uh, My sense was that there was a lot of energy put on defending and possibly not sufficient energy on the offensive. That is one consideration. My sense also was that there was a lack of precision and a lack of uh, stamina, which for me became apparent. So just from this consideration alone, we might say that, of course, the outcome would not have come to be an outcome if those failing if those difficulty had not been uh, things. We might also think actually perhaps a bit more optimistically that it was the first time since 1966, a number that I've heard again and again and again since the England team won the World Cup, but also really got to the final of such a competition. And so we want to really think about why, rather than being celebratory, those three players have been inundated by racist abuse, racist messages. I know that there has been at least one mural that has been defaced. I think that there has been a lot of trolling online. Some people have said that it was boats, of course, foreign boats, responsible for the kind of really heavy, heavy going racist Abuse. Uh, we've seen that yesterday Twitter took the position not to condemn racist abuse in the form of saying that there should not be black players in the England team, that it was not racist to say that Jewish people, black people, and migrants should be essentially taken out of Britain, and we say that we have also seen that Twitter has been very lax in relation to tackling this racist abuse. And of course, the abuse came in the context of Pretty Patel, in particular condemning the players taking a knee. So this is what we have in the background. So the question is for us, what made the backlash come about? And of course, what are the implications for the workplaces? Now, we could spend a lot of time, we could spend a day, possibly even two, three days thinking about the historical context, thinking about the socio-political context and thinking about systems of power, which... We could have expected, in fact, we could have predicted, most of us kind of did, that the fact that three players who were black missed penalties, and that the outcome of the penalty shootout being England losing, was likely to lead to the black players being essentially held responsible, being blamed. We might even say being scapegoated. And many of us, in fact, did see it coming. There were comments on social media around that expectation. I remember when in the France... Match against Switzerland, I believe it was the quarter-final when France was taken out and Mbappé missed his penalty, I knew instantly as well that he would be held to account. And that is what has happened in France as well, possibly to a lesser degree, surprisingly, possibly because there have been less black players in the at home allegedly. Um, But Nonetheless, that is also true that Bappe was subjected to racist abuse as well. So what is it about this phenomenon that might be interesting for us to consider in relation to the workplace? So why has it come about? Just some factors. Again, we could spend a lot of time, but we have about seven minutes or so left. So number one, there is a, of course, a long a long history of conditional humanity that is projected or that is expected of black people right it's okay we can be tolerated as long as we have some extraordinary talent, we can serve a purpose that can lead a nation, a team, a department to glory. And in such circumstances, then as I say in Living while Black, our blackness might be forgotten, not forgiven, and forgotten, whatever the expression is. So something around conditional humanity, which is basically indicative of our baseline of inhumanity, of not being deserving, of dignity, of respect, of care, of compassion, as other people. Human being, of course, because perhaps at some level many still have trouble accepting that we are not only human being but our humanity is unconditional. Then there is something around the colonial notion of gratitude. We should be grateful, this is something that is often put on to us. We should be grateful for being um, in this country, regardless of the fact that not only we might have been born or bred in the country and that ancestors essentially are the blood of ancestors laid the foundation for what the country, what we call the country is today, there's this notion that actually, if you are given some space to just live and exist in the West, then you should be grateful. And this idea of gratitude or gratefulness uh, goes really into the notion that we are inferior, right? That white people, white society, is doing us a favor by allowing us the same treatment it allows other human beings. And so, what we have here linking those two, those two ideas, we have the conceptualization of the black person really as a black object. That is usually why I speak of black object hood because we are often objectified and because within whiteness the black person cannot exist as a subject in fact you might argue whether it is conceivable within whiteness that black people are people right because of the need to objectify us and so you If the black person, the black object, as I say, does not fulfill his mission, the expectation, the demand that are placed upon it, then the consequences is often violence, is often some kind of of retaliation. And another point that might be worth making is around how society still, and that would take us closer to some of the dynamics that can get reproduced in the workplace, how we are still disproportionately, unfairly, unjustly subject to harsh responses uh, when it comes to those unmet expectation or so-called failure. So we know because we have tons of empirical Evidence that tells us without the shadow of a doubt that all things being equal, if a black person, a black body engage or is assessed as engaging in a conduct that is deemed as reprehensible, the consequences, the punishment, the sanction is going to be much, much higher. Uh, there's going to be a much heftier cost for that unwanted behavior than if the same act had been committed, all things being equal, by a white person, and in many instances, all things being equal by a person of color. And that takes us really to the overlap or to the parallel that can be made in relation to workplace issues, dynamic um, processes. so what is it that we can learn from the response that might tell us a little bit about what goes on within group at work within institutions within workplaces perhaps even more specifically. So we know that because blackness attracts a level of scrutiny and this scrutiny often exists because black people within white spaces often make people uncomfortable and that attracts the kind of hypervigilance which might lead to us being under undue scrutiny. It means that when we get things wrong, we are much less likely to get away with it. It also means that when we get things wrong, we are likely to activate those, again, colonial constructions or fantasies around deficiency, around inferiority, around laziness. I mean, all the stereotypes that are still used today when it comes to, to blackness. And those are in danger of being activated in the workplace when a black person is deemed not to have made expectation in relation. To performance that gets into motion. when those kind of stuff get into motion, it is very difficult to see the behavior, to see the persons for what they are, because essentially, they become the repository of so much projected material um, fantasies that what we are essentially judging, assessing, evaluating are stereotypes, not people. And finally, something else to think about in relation to the workplace is how we then respond to black people, black managers, black leaders, when their performance, when their so-called conduct is deemed not to be up to scratch. It means that if we lose touch with their humanity and treat them as objects, which, again, we tend to do, it becomes virtually Impossible to connect to compassion, to connect to empathy, to connect to their humanity. Because, of course, we do not treat objects uh, with compassion, we do not relate to object. We do not uh, show mutuality to object. We do not seek to understand object. We seek to use and instrumentalize them. And so those are the ideas that I want you to think about that might be of relevance to the workplace. Of course, there's a lot more, but that would be a good start what can we do? Again, some suggestion to try to disrupt what I call social or historical script. The first thing is trying to look at the person for what they are. Of course, difficult to do when you are related to the person as an object or when you have projected onto them things that might not belong to them. Disturbance that might not be entirely their responsibility, right? It's very difficult to deal with scapegoating, of course, because when scapegoating is in action, and this is also partly what we are talking about, people do not know that they are scapegoating. and That is the difficulty. But one of the tools that we have at our disposal, particularly when it comes to unfair Blame when it comes to dealing with black people as black object is to a not only remember what is happening or what is likely to be happening, but also to link to the very specific of the person. So this is always going to be helpful when we are trying to tackle stereotypes. Try to look as closely as possible to the detail, be as precise as possible to, for example, the performance over the tournament. Think about the performance of the team in the whole game. Think about the contribution that have been made by those three players. Think about the fact that it was indeed the first time in, what, half a century or so that the England team got into such a position in the final. Think about what the experience of those players might be. So the more detailed you are, the more enriched you make this person, the more you connect to their humanity, the more difficult it is going to be to stereotype them. So that is one strategy. Connect to the details, connect to the specific. An other strategy might be to think about what again, what might be being avoided in relation to this disturbance being located in those three players. So exactly what is the upset about? What is the problem? Who else is involved in the problem that is not being named in the problem? So to me, for example, I would be curious around the decision to not only allow those three young, fairly inexperienced players to take the first, the first set of penalties, but also to take the deciding one. Some people would disagree with me and say, well, they are in the team. And so therefore there is nothing that needs to be thought about here in relation to them taking the shootout. Yes, I can see that. That is a valuable uh, position to hold. But if we look at something that looks too much like a a script. If we look at something that looks too much like a setup, now I'm not suggesting consciously at least that there was a setup, but if it looks like a setup, then I guess my job, as a psychologist, would be to be thinking, okay, okay, what else might be going on if only, if only unconsciously, and so it's helpful to think about additional motivation and particularly the purpose that any displaced uh, disturbance uh, might serve for the country, for the team, and so that would take us to be thinking about the context. So I hope that those three suggestions would be helpful. So number one, connecting to the dynamic, trying to understand it a little bit more, perhaps a bit more theoretically. Number two, thinking about how we disrupt stereotypes. How can we see what is in front of us in spite of what we might be or others might be projected onto them? And that means looking as closely as we can to the specifics, that is one of our more effective tool to counter stereotypes and people therefore being treated as objects. And then number three, to remember that there is a wider collective team purpose that is being served by the dynamic and usually something that is being avoided. So that really overlap with the other podcasts that we've had on skip and location of disturbance. And therefore I would invite you to revisit them. Okay, so that has been my musing on the England team, the final, the response to the team losing. I hope it is in some way helpful. It hasn't been very scripted. I hope it is coherent enough. And I hope that is something for uh, all of us to learn and so therefore to, to take. And so I want to thank you again for listening. Until next time, please take care.